It takes more than strongly held opinions to be a great software engineer. This is episode 142 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. We also have strong opinions, I guess. But weakly held. I mean, uh, I, I don't know why. That phrase drives me crazy. Oh, really? It's like, I'm going to argue to the death with you and then just like suddenly, I don't know, change it for no reason. <laughs> I... I feel like I, I remember very clearly when I started writing software, I felt this feeling of like, oh, I, to fit in, I just have to develop strong opinions about things. Hmm. There's so many people that are just yelling about editors and white space and programming <laughs> language. And there's just a lot of opinions. And I guess I'll have some strong ones to fit in. And so I just like picked some arbitrarily. And, and I'm pretty sure I read that Strong Opinions Weekly Held thing and developed very strong opinions about how good idea of an idea that was. <laughs> Ooh, that's meta. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't, right. want, I don't want to riff on this subject too much, but I actually really like that phrase because I think a team benefits from having a shared opinion so you don't have to constantly rehash things. But when new evidence comes out, you know, the team can drop it and move forward with the new thing. Then again, <laughs> I guess that could be a vicious cycle too. Yeah. I don't know. No problem is solvable. I just, I don't know. <laughs> Everything is broken all the time, even opinions. <laughs> all right. Dave, do you want to talk about our wonderful patrons? Yes, thank you too. These people who donate at the level where we get a shout-out, we give them a shout-out every week. Chris Hogan, Nick Cantar, Zach Grannon, Matthew Wodowicz, David Jackson, Arno Engelin, Fedor Rusak, The Agile Ventures Charity, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Sean Clayton. Never leave us Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> We've got a comment from a listener really quick. Special thanks to you guys for talking about how to handle someone who makes a big mistake when breaking production. I remember you were saying that there should be processes in place to protect the junior developer. I truncated the wrong table today and I don't feel so bad. Luckily, we have backups and it was still in beta. But still, you helped prevent me from feeling super negative and being very distracted by my mistake. So thanks. Awesome. You truncate those tables with reckless abandon. Yeah. I mean, the process should protect junior devs, but I'm selfishly worried about it protecting me. Like, I, I am not a careful man. I fat finger stuff all the time. <laughs> So it's self-interest. And if it benefits other people, then great. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad we helped. Yeah, next time we should help to actually prevent the truncation. But you know, not, not feeling <laughs> that is good, too. <laughs> that's technical. <laughs> that's not true. in our wheelhouse. Someone else's problem. <laughs> yep. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Sure. This comes from a listener named Dan, who says, on episode 66, which, wow, that's going way back. That's a couple years back. Listen, we can't be held accountable for anything we said that far ago. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On episode 66, you attempted to answer my question, how bad can a junior front-end developer be? Well, I'm now four months into my new job as a junior front-end developer, and it turns out they can be pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, th that was a joke. I'm in this junior role I feel overqualified for. My peers rate me as a solid mid-level, and I've started to realize that I'm not really a junior developer. I think this can all be attributed to learning from really good devs at my last company. My best friend is a senior JS contractor who's a legend, and I talk to him about code and best practices every day. My question, would you ever hire someone at a mid-level role, even if they only had six months of professional experience? I.e., how much weight do you put on the CV? I love you guys. I've listened to every podcast. Well, thanks, Dan. Hmm. I mean, 
everything is possible. I'm sure someone has been hired with six months of experience as a mid-level developer. This also gets into tricky territory because we have to define what junior means. And like, I don't know, nobody defines it. Yeah. it's It seems so fuzzy, like all these leveling things of just... Someone probably has criteria somewhere, but they're certainly not applicable across jobs or companies. Yeah. In fact, I've never even worked at a company that had a junior developer specification or designation. I mean, was it like engineer level one or something like that yeah i've had levels um and i've had just software engineer and then senior software engineer but i've never specifically had a title at a company not just that i've had the company simply didn't have them where your title was actually junior software engineer yeah i feel like you know what it means though right oh yeah i have a rough idea of what that means i'm just saying that i've never quite grown accustomed to it and i've never really sat down and tried to like define what it means what you're saying is kids these days really (laughs) Right? Exactly. Whippersnappers. <laughs> <laughs> I've started to realize that I'm not really a junior. I mean, you could do a couple things. You could start doing not junior work and ask for a promotion. I feel like the first job most people get in software is like their junior developer job. And it's pretty common to go get another job after after a shorter time for your first job because I feel like that transition is often not recognized at the same company. Yeah. Where maybe people get the get get this fixed idea of your ability and skill set in their head and then as you develop and improve they they don't suddenly wake up one day and say, "Oh, Dan is not a junior anymore." Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's for whatever reason you, people just don't see it. I think it happens so slowly, you know. But now or the question quickly. is, is 6 months long enough for another company to recognize you as more than a junior engineer? Maybe. I mean, most companies do some kind of technical skills evaluation. So there's like sample projects or whiteboard questions or I don't know. There's some way to evaluate your technical skill. And if you're really saying, I think most people's calendar of engineering title progress, six months feels pretty short from junior to non-junior but if you can just kick butt on those skills tests then then it's i think it's certainly possible that you could get hired above that i i actually question whether six months is long enough to develop the fitness levels needed to get through the feet of strength to move up to a (laughs) non-junior position well here's here's the deal you progress the fastest at the beginning periods of of exercise right like going from couch potato to someone who exercises every day in six months you can build a lot of muscle so Okay. Like the delta is, is the, the curve is pretty steep there. I see. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe six months is enough time. So it depends on, yeah, if, if they're giving you like mid-level feats of strength, then you could probably hit some of those <laughs> after six months of dedicated training. <laughs> what are steroids in this analogy? Is that like paying for training courses? Like yeah, that's your plural site subscription. Or, yeah, your plural site or whatever. <laughs> Or maybe steroids are like offshoring the outsourcing the <laughs> the programming challenge to <laughs> to an offshore programmer during the phone screen. <laughs> yeah, let me just share my screen with someone else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> share with two people at the same time. Screen share inception. <laughs> yeah. So my my uh, knee jerk reaction to this is if I got a resume that came across my desk for an engineer who is looking for a mid level position with six months of experience, I would say you are clearly not in mid level territory. That would be my knee jerk reaction, and you would have to do something truly extraordinary during the interviews to break me of that misconception. Yeah, why is that? I just it's pure bias. <laughs> yeah, and. What I mean by that is to say that I've talked to a lot of 
developers with six months of experience. And when I think the word mid-level, I mean, I'm thinking years, four or five years, six years of experience. Six years? I, I don't know. I'm an old guy. <laughs> I guess, yeah, the years stretch out for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, for me, mid-level, <laughs> if you took the midpoint of my career, would be more than, <laughs> more than six years. And quite frankly, I still consider myself a mid-level engineer at this point. Kind of, I mean, you know, you've heard the term mid-career. Yeah. Like, like I am squarely in mid-career, numer- numerically. Hmm. Is that really so, how you think of it? Uh, No, not really, because the number of older developers who are like 50 plus in years is actually very, very small because our industry is so young. And so, no, I don't really think of it that way. <laughs> but I do think okay. <laughs> I do think of mid-level as five plus years of experience. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe we have a generation gap here because yeah. I... Maybe. I, f- I feel like I agree with you broadly that um, my knee-jerk reaction would be probably not ready for a mid-level, but maybe maybe you are if you do something particularly impressive. But five plus doesn't, doesn't feel mid-level. That feels like where I would be trying to see if they're a senior engineer. Huh. But I, I, uh, I came into the industry when I feel like it was younger and there are a lot more people coming into it at the same time. So maybe the gradient kind of spread out a little bit. Yeah, see, I came into the industry when a whole bunch of people were getting out of the industry. It was a really bad time <laughs> to come in. And so I worked with like, when I, in fact, my first job out of college was a team of about 15 engineers. And they had hired three newer developers like me right out of college. And then the other 10 or 12 engineers were at least 40, 45 years old. I mean, these people all had at least 15 to 20 years of experience. So that's kind of Maybe how there's like some title inflation going on. My mm. So my team that I work with every day has six people on it. And there's one person with a title level below senior engineer. Mm-hmm. And the average age of the team is probably like early 30s. Okay. And they have about Maybe what, a little bit 10, younger. 10, 8 to 10 years of experience? The senior folks, I would say they have a little bit less. Maybe a little less. Maybe I just convince myself the opposite now <laughs> when i say that out loud yeah yeah i guess so what what do you what are you convinced of now i feel like you just had a strong Nothing. opinion weekly held <laughs> yeah i think i think i did it's all that training as a programmer <laughs> prepared me for this moment i don't know but none of this is answering dan's question right which is like can i get hired as a mid-level engineer and we're, we're saying basically like you probably wouldn't pass uh, just a just a blind screen of someone looking at your resume and then looking at the job posting mm-hmm. and saying like, nah, this probably doesn't work. So you would have to have some connection or some thing that stuck out because uh, if someone's reading 30 resumes and the criteria for the job is mid-level engineer and they see someone with six months of experience, they're probably, if they have nothing else, they're just going to say like, probably not. Yeah. Well, I would have a few questions for Dan. Uh, I would say question number one is, are you the brother-in-law of our CTO? <laughs> it turns out programming skill is correlated with the ability to make my sister like you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nigh unto marriage indeed <laughs> yeah but but seriously like six months yeah james and i were talking about this before we started recording there is just like an amount of time that must pass in order for you to have seen and made a lot of mistakes and when i was a kid my parents had this interesting uh, magnet on the fridge and it said good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment and I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really weird thing to put in a house that has teenagers i know <laughs> <laughs> well suffice it to say i did exercise a lot of bad judgment as a teenager listen mom i turned 16 and i got that tattooed on my forehead <laughs> just like your magnet says now i have experience <laughs> 
but like I've made so many mistakes as an engineer and I've been on teams that have made mistakes and I've been intimately, you know, first row seats watching problems go down. And after six months, there's just only so much of that that you can observe. And I feel like there's things you can read about and and you can definitely learn some things from those from from reading other people's experiences. But just experiencing things yourself firsthand, I feel like makes a really big difference in your ability to have more senior levels of judgment as an engineer. Yeah, I think so. I, I do not believe that programming is purely this innate thing that you're born with the ability to do well. I think you can develop and improve your skills. But I think there are people that probably start at different levels or are more naturally apt towards learning the kind of tactics of writing code to solve problems. And you can you can maybe have a jump start and be naturally good at that and and have invested a lot. But I agree with Dave that there's there's just so much you haven't seen with only six months of professional experience. And I don't know that you can skip that part. I mean, there 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 are some exceptions, obviously, but you would you would have to be an exception. I guess that's the point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what we're saying. And I've met these whiz kid folks who are very inexperienced, but just show an amazing innate knack at being good with programming skills, meaning they can crank out code, they can solve hard programming problems, but they lack some, I don't want to say more important abilities, but they lack uh, things that come with time and maturity and experience in the field, like learning how to work with the team, learning how to work with a product manager, learning how to report status effectively, learning how to come to work and leave work at, on time, you know, just like these more fundamental things that are more in our wheelhouse on this podcast, I guess you could say, not that we're necessarily exemplary at these things in our own jobs, but it's these things that take time and you don't learn them from a book and you don't learn them from a CS program. You learn them by doing them, I think. And six months is good. Like that's a good amount of time under your belt, but it, I would still consider that a fairly junior level. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, if you talk about like wizard programmers, there's a guy named Mitchell Hashimoto. He's the founder of HashiCorp. They make a ton of incredibly widely used infrastructure software, Vagrant, uh, Terraform, Vault, all kinds of console, all kinds of stuff. And he wrote Vagrant when he was like 20, 19, some outrageously young age. And it's got just millions and millions of users. Mm -hmm. So he feels like one of those exceptions. And he's had an exceptional effect on programming. Yeah. But even then, I don't know his background. Maybe he was, maybe he'd been programming for like five years by then already. Yeah, possible. It's unlikely Vagrant was his first programming problem. Yeah. And, and also <laughs> Vagrant isn't like a mid-level <laughs> engineer problem. He's probably pretty far on the bell curve of, of yeah. like outliers in terms of technical skill. But I, I guess the point of bringing this up is like young people who don't have a ton of experience can do incredible things and, and have a pretty huge effect on the world. Sure. Who's the guy that did Babel? Yeah. We, we interviewed uh, him on our on a podcast years ago. Yeah, Sebastian McKenzie. He made that when he was very young. Yeah, he was, an, he was like an 18-year-old and did it in I history class. I think he class. was younger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess the point is um, there's most careers are not like that, right? Most people do not create Vagrant or Babel. And most people follow a more normal curve of like, get into programming, maybe have some interest or aptitude in it and, and kind of build up their skills slowly. So if you feel like you you want to break out of that curve, then you need to show something that demonstrates that. Yeah. And if and if you are one of these exceptional people like Sebastian. Well, if you are like, I would love to work for your company that you'll found someday. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll you'll have something very obvious to show for it if you're one of those folks like Vagrant yeah. or Babel. Yeah. There's certainly some very smart people out there. But the question is specifically, how do I get hired as a mid-level engineer with this much experience. And I think the answer is like show that you are not the typical six months of experience programmer somehow. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, in this case, uh, we've got a little bit of evidence from Dan that he says, my peers rate me as uh, 
solid mid-level. And that's good, but that actually doesn't show well to the hiring manager for another company. Because I don't know who yeah. your peers are. Maybe they're all like super junior and they're like, oh yeah, Dan is definitely head and shoulders above us, but we've all been doing this for one month, <laughs> you know? So yeah, you have to have something else. And it, it's hard to do that with your company work. Actually, you know, I take that back. I think if you can talk really intelligently about the stuff you've built and it's impressive at your current company, then that could be the thing you bring to the interview. <laughs> we talked a little bit about mistakes. Are you saying the advice should be like, talk about just all the horrible things that you broke? <laughs> 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 that table and broad you and it didn't work and, yeah <laughs> yeah i think you're right you 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 have to have some way to stick out and gloss over the fact that you only have six months because that number is going to loom pretty large yeah the the more experience you have i think the the easier it is to kind of fuzz between different skill levels or or uh not skill levels um title rankings whatever you want to call them levels in general but when when the no, when the amount of professional experience is that low that uh that carries a lot of weight. Yeah, for sure. Well, like, I guess what I'm saying is if someone had like three years of experience, it would be much easier for me to say maybe they're a very talented senior engineer already or staff or whatever. But six months is just so low on the absolute scale that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a solid maybe. Yeah. It's kind of a junior maybe, I guess. Yeah. All right. Question answered. Do you want to read our next one? Oh, it's no. my turn. Yes. I want to read our next one. I do not want to read it. Okay. I want to hear you read it. This is from an anonymous listener. Thank you so much for the show. I've been binge watching. I mean, listening. They wrote listening and I just said watching. <laughs> what have you been doing recently? <laughs> that tells you nothing about my media consumption habits. I've been binge listening to old episodes ever since a friend of mine suggested it. Your excellent and often comedic advice has been getting me through the workday and I really appreciate it. Onward to the question. I imagine trumpets. <laughs> One of the members of my team who is more senior than I often does poor work and the rest of the team picks up the slack to redo the work, pushing out deadlines we would have met otherwise. I know better than to vent about this at work, even though it's very frustrating. However, now I'm in a bit of a predicament. Part of our annual review process requires us to provide feedback on each of the members of our team, which is not anonymous. Anonymous, I guess. <laughs> The feedback is used to make decisions about raises and promotions. This individual has mentioned that they will expect a promotion to team lead in this upcoming review cycle, which makes me quite nervous. Should I be honest in my review and mention my concerns, or should I take the much more comfortable route, which will also protect my relationships on the team, of pretending that everything is fine? Oh, ouch. Yeah, the first comment I wrote was, oof, <laughs> with a lot of O's. It's like 12 O's. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is rough. But I just had a brilliant idea strike me, which is, can you include your negative feedback in code so that the person you're leaving the feedback to will not get it? Oh, but, but the manager will? The manager will. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe like you type it in ink that is invisible for 12 hours. <laughs> And 12 hours happens to be the time that the individual reviews it before handing it to their manager. And then it appears in bright pink. Or you leave a little note at the bottom that's like, hey, manager only, hold this up to a flame. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, if they're not very good at code, you could like lock it behind a coding puzzle. <laughs> And then your manager can solve it and see what the real feedback is. It's like a steganographically obscured message. Yeah. Listen, they'll never be able... They, they, they can't recognize Base64 encoded text. So just ignore it. They'll just ignore this weird blob of characters. But my manager will see it as suspicious and decode it. <laughs> and it says, everything I said in this review is a lie. Yeah. Or, I mean, you mentioned stenography. Yeah, I mean, the first letter of every sentence, that's a classic one. Mm -hmm. First letter of every line. Yeah, I mean, there, 
that's a different podcast. All the ways to encode negative feedback about your peers <laughs> in, in text. Any of those would work. <laughs> Look, I, I actually don't think you have a problem here. I, let's just assume that if this person gets promoted to team lead, they're going to stop writing code. <laughs> so go for it. Pile on the praise. Get that promotion done, and then your problem is solved. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is rough. I I can see the value of sharing feedback about each other in some circumstances, but having it be like a large part of your performance reviews tied to income and having that be not anonymous feels a little weird. Yeah. I feel like this is this is maybe an exercise you would do is like part of working on communication skills as a team, like pair up and each person gives some feedback to the other person and then kind of talk about how the experience went. Not like Okay, you sit down and sign your name on this document that's going to determine how much money your coworker will make. Uh, that that feels weird. That doesn't help you, but oh, hold weird. on, but both of those ideas felt weird to me. What were you really? Were you saying sit down and give feedback and then give feedback on the feedback? Is that what, like yeah? So like maybe you want to create a culture of delivering clear feedback on your team. Okay, and so one bad way to do that is say all performance reviews will be done by your peers and their names will be signed on them. Go, and then that just leads to I don't know. Just, just ex- a yearly explosion. Yeah, but you could you could kind of ease into that. So maybe your manager gives feedback in one on ones, and maybe you hold little like feedback exercises where there's nothing there's nothing financial tied to it. You just do a little workshop for half a day or, or an hour or something. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying there there are ways to ease into this idea of like provide feedback to each other and make that part of the culture in ways that aren't as scary. Yeah. There's not as or, much on the or line. Or fraught. Yeah. And to be fair, this is probably not the only thing that plays into the promotion or raise cycle. There's probably other yeah. data points too. Yeah. So maybe just hope those data points are bad. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your well, head it, down. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay. So I'm the kind of guy that likes to share honest feedback, even if it's not comfortable. But if it's as bad as this person describes, where it frequently the work has to be totally redone, surely the manager is aware of this. And at least someone will bring this up, right? So maybe, even though I hate this idea, maybe you could skirt by if you're super uncomfortable and just sweep it under the rug and hope that it, you know, gets handled. Yeah. I guess it depends on how much faith you have in your management. Yeah, it depends a lot. I mean, I could see an approach where you talk to your manager about your concerns too. That feels, uh, this is just a hard situation because that could feel weird. Like you're stabbing someone in the back, right? Of Like going yeah. behind their back and telling the manager that you think they're bad at their job or something. Hmm. I think that the part of this question that surprises me the most is that this person's work regularly has to be redone to the point that they miss deadlines. And yet they're still expressing that they're expecting to get a promotion to team lead. Like, that's such a big disconnect between those two things. Like, thinking you're so great that you could be team lead while the reality is your stuff's getting reworked by your team members. Like, how? How does that happen? Yeah, maybe there's a lack of introspection on their part. Or, I mean, maybe they're really good at some other things and just their their pure coding chops are not up to snuff. Or they're very careless or... Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they're super fast, but... yeah they just crank out lots of stuff for the team to redo yeah (laughs) just incredible piles of stuff yeah now wait a minute this is another thing if this person gets promoted what will you do with all your time if you're not redoing all their work this person created your job (laughs) yeah i it seems like there's a strong culture of politeness around here and that 
feels very reasonable to me. I like to work at places where people are polite. But one of the downsides is it's sometimes harder to say things people don't want to hear if you're used to being very, very nice to each other, you know? And it feels like this is where you need someone to just stand up and be like, no, your code is crap and I don't care and I don't want you to be my boss if you make our lives horrible. Like you need you need one person who doesn't care about politeness, Mm -hmm. but like only on this point and then is polite (laughs) to you the rest of the time. (laughs) So they're not a horrible pain to work with. Yeah. But but it does feel like there's a pendulum between kind of like say whatever's on your mind. Maybe it's a little bit harsher of a communication style, but people are very honest and, and sometimes they're honest about negative things, but also positive things. And the other side of the pendulum is like everyone is very kind and polite, but there's a lot that goes left unsaid because people don't want to say things that offend or upset other people. And it feels like this is one of the problems that you get when when it's more on that pendulum of don't upset other people, where there's some unpleasant things or that that might make someone unhappy that need to be said. Yeah. Huh. Should you be honest in your review and mention your concerns or take the much more comfortable route? This is a bit of a false dichotomy. There is a third option here, and that is that you can approach your manager And even without mentioning the name of the person, you could say, there's someone on our team I want to give feedback on, but help coach me through this process of sharing the feedback with you. I'm not sure it's, you know, I'm not sure how it should be given and how best to give this in such a way that the person can improve or that would have the best outcome. And then share, without necessarily revealing who you're talking about, some of the circumstances that have given you so much concern. And then see what the manager says. And maybe they'll direct you to say, yeah, I need to know who that is. And and then you let them know, or maybe they don't, you know. Um, maybe they'll say, look, you're you're actually inflating the problem here. It's not that big of a deal. And then maybe they'll give you some context you weren't aware of or some new perspective. But I mean, you can definitely do this out of band. You don't have like the, writing your f- feedback in the formal feedback form is not your only option for sharing feedback. I wonder. OK, so my dad is like a superhuman and he is capable of things I'm not capable of. And I can just hear in my head um, what his answer to this question would be. And it would be he would walk up to this person and say, you know, I'm not comfortable recommending you for promotion when your work impacts us negatively this much. And I just want to let you know I'm I'm going to put that in my review. And then he would walk away and just be like, do, 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 and like <laughs> go about his day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's like the that's the uh, someday I hope to evolve to that level option of just because the benefit of that is it's not an ambush, right? Like if they're just dead set on the idea that they're getting this promotion and then the day of they read their feedback form and it's got this stinging rebuke or whatever they see it as mm-hmm. that could inspire some pretty unhappy feelings and, and uh, maybe blow up a little bit. But if you're giving them a little bit of warning and, and saying like, hey, this is this is how I see the situation, maybe it would give them more time to to, I don't know sabotage your career (laughs) i don't know i don't know it just feels like in some ways it feels like letting them know would be good but i could also see that having more negative effects i really like the way you worded that like i'm not comfortable giving a positive recommendation for a promotion for you that's yeah thanks instead of just saying you're not team lead material your code is bad you say what you feel and then yeah. if they have a response to that, you can talk through it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe they'll convince you or I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember all those all those hours? That was actually all an illusion. <laughs> I I magicked you. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> yeah. That was time you spent having fun with your family. <laughs> but it was too much fun. It would have driven you mad. So I replaced <laughs> that in your memory with time crunching to meet deadlines that I caused you to miss. <laughs> I'm not the hero you deserve. I'm the hero you need, or whatever <laughs> that Batman quote is. Yep. The other one, not the hero you need. I'm the hero you deserve. I don't know. 
I don't know. You know what? Christian Bale or whatever the guy's name was. It wasn't Christian Bale. It was Gary Oldman. He probably tried that both ways and then picked the one that sounded better. So <laughs> feel free to do that in your head right now. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, this is a tough one. I The, the solution that feels most um, personally comfortable to me would be talking it through with my manager. Outside the formal process. Yeah. Yeah. I... Me too. I do think just kind of dropping a bomb and signing your name on it feels least comfortable. And someday I hope to feel comfortable with the Jameson's dad solution of <laughs> just talking to them beforehand and expressing your concerns. There's something that happens when you verbally approach a manager before you give them your written formal write-up. And I have had to give hard feedback to people like this before. And having a conversation out loud with your manager beforehand helps give your manager context and they can see that you're conflicted, right? It's not just like, oh, look how heartless Jameson is. He wrote all these terrible things about Bob over there. <laughs> you know, it's like you can actually have a chance to explain yourself and talk through it and say, look, I, you know, I don't want to tank this person's career, but I also am not comfortable with them being team lead and you know, talk through it. And then you can take a more positive tack where you say, I want to do something that would be the most helpful to them. What do you think that is? And that's actually the most human or humane thing I think you can do anyway, is really try to figure yeah, out how I mean, to help this person. And I see, I could see how that would make sense because if they really have this large glaring technical weakness, it's it's going to cause problems. Even if they don't write as much code as a, as a team lead, I, team lead sounds like they still might write quite a bit of code though. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to work out great if they're already causing damage as is. So I think you could approach it that way. I also think it might be valuable, especially if you're worried about damaging your relationships to kind of let the manager know if, if you decide to go forward with leaving this feedback to because they, they can potentially be on the lookout for negative effects of this. And, and that's something they should stop, right? You shouldn't get punished for saying uh, your opinion about someone's performance if, if the process involves asking you for your opinion about their performance. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe you could get a little bit of backup there. Well, have we answered the question? I think so. I think so. It's a tricky situation. I think you've got a, good, a few good options here. And, you know, if you really, really feel uncomfortable with all this, you can just write the things that are good about this person in the review and ignore the rest. You know, but I would not do that if I were you. I don't know what I would do, honestly. I know what I want to do, but I don't know what I would actually end up doing. I'd probably stay up really late for several nights before and then <laughs> let my more tired brain decide. Yeah, I exactly. Trust, I trust tired Jameson more. <laughs> I know what I should do. I should get really good and sleep deprived before I make this decision. <laughs> All right. Question answered. Where can people go if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. The questions are just so good and so much insight into what's going on in people's worlds. We really appreciate it. You are the lifeblood of the show. Keep your questions brief to the point and you can share your name or not, whatever you like. What can people do if they want to support the show, Jameson? Go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. Thank you very much to everybody who does and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.